liked. And I let people know that it was an experiment in my email correspondence and Facebook posts and all of that. Let's see how this works. Let's see what happens, right? And what I discovered over the month of July was that 75% of my business was coming in on one single day. This is the Box Office Podcast. I am Rebecca Polly, Deputy Editor of Box Office Pro, joined once again by Daniel Luria, Editorial Director of Box Office Pro, the only publication in North America exclusively dedicated to covering the interests of the global theatrical exhibition marketplace. Daniel, this is our first official post-CinemaCon podcast. For me, the last weekend has been kind of pure recovery mode, barely left my couch, barely left my sofa. Um, Daniel, I imagine it was the same for you, but um, in the world outside of CinemaCon recovery, people were going to see some movies at the movie theaters. Um, what was what were the new films that came out? And uh, can you give us a rundown of what sort of box office we saw, specifically from Candyman? I'll be happy to. But first, a quick word from our sponsor. And actually, this sponsor is coming through the concession stand. Oreo Cookies has figured out a way to take a concession stand classic to the next level. That's right. It's Oreo popcorn, and it's popping up at theaters across the country. This new blockbuster treat is made with real Oreo cookie pieces, drizzles of Oreo-based cake, and drizzles of Oreo cream. What better way to welcome back moviegoers than with an amazing salty and sweet treat that combines America's favorite cookie and popcorn to create true movie theater magic. Want to taste a snack that's destined to be a hit for yourself? You can head over to oreopopcornsample.com for a complimentary sample of Oreo popcorn. Again, that's oreopopcornsample.com to get your complimentary Oreo popcorn sample today. So yeah, Rebecca, it was a positive weekend at the box office where we continue to see positive trends from titles that are theatrically exclusive and also come in with a good amount of uh, marketing here for their theatrical debuts. Universal's Candyman, exclusive to theaters, opening to $22 million from 3,569 screens in North America. Interesting part about this title, Rebecca, in its performance, the opening weekend demographics. We had 37% of the audience being African-American and 22% of the audience being Hispanic in that opening weekend. So we see minority audiences here combining to nearly 60% of the opening weekend ticket sales for this title, something that we've been saying for a long time now. We have to look at diversity, not only in the sense of representation on screen, but also representation when it comes to marketing efforts. I think Universal got this one right. What are your impressions of this performance? My impressions are that I'm just ticked off that I was so tired from CinemaCon that I didn't get a go chance get a chance to see Candyman this weekend because I'm uh, uh, really wanted to see it. It's one that I'm I'm looking forward to. Um, it's one that I'm still very excited to see, especially uh, given how it overperformed. And yeah, looking at how certain demographics, whether that's Hispanic moviegoers, whether that's Asian moviegoers, African-American women, you know, tend to over-index compared to the white male population. Um, I definitely think that that's something that, that needs to be looked at and is being looked at in terms of the titles that get made. Um, but I think, Daniel, something that isn't talked about as much and something that we've talked about on this podcast, and I know it is an issue that you're really passionate about, just marketing. 
getting the talent, uh, getting the the directors and getting these people out to the more specific niche and including international press, you know, you can't just rely on the same couple dozen publications for your press junkets. It's just not how you get people out. Absolutely. Uh, We've seen that happen again and again, but these are positive results uh, so far. Going down the line, second place we have from 20th Century Studios, Free Guy, also exclusive to theaters in its third weekend, bringing in 13.1 million from 3,940 screens. That's a 78.9 million domestic total for this title, performing, I think, uh, quite well in these week-to-week holds. And then below that, we have Paw Patrol coming in on third place. That's a day and date release from Paramount that has a $6.6 million weekend take from 3,189 screens. In its sophomore frame, that's a $24.1 million domestic total. And then we had a little bit of a milestone here with Disney's Jungle Cruise, which is day and date on PVOD. Uh, That was a $5 million take from 3,370 screens in its fifth weekend. Rebecca, Jungle Cruise now crossing the $100 million mark domestically. That's a nice little bit of uh, positive traction on a title that didn't come with the, uh, let's say, IP recognizability uh, Mm -hmm. behind it. New franchise being launched by Disney is now hitting that $100 million mark despite the pandemic and despite a day and date PVOD release on Disney+. Plus. Do we know uh, off the top of our heads here how many films have crested the 100 million mark since the beginning of this year? We're looking at Black Widow, F9, Godzilla vs. Kong. A Quiet Place Part 2. Quiet Place Part 2 and Jungle Cruise. Really off the top of my head, I think those are the ones that come to mind, really. So we're talking about really, what, a half dozen, if, if, if I'm not mistaken. So we're seeing pro- positive traction as we're saying these, these titles getting up there, performing well. That wasn't the case with Warner Brothers Reminiscence. All the way down in 11th place, Rebecca, only at second weekend, grossing less than a million dollars in its sophomore frame. That's a $3.5 million domestic total for this title starring Hugh Jackman that I don't know. I mean, they I still haven't seen thing. it. They didn't market yeah, the thing. They, right? it, it, we barely saw a blip here. We barely saw an effort uh, from the studio to get this uh, into moviegoers' minds. Um, I think really unfortunate on a title that I think uh, had there been a little bit more confidence, had the day and date uh, scenario not existed, could have performed a bit better. I haven't even gotten to see this. It's one of the movies that was on my radar coming into the summer. So that's the recap of the box office for this week. And of course, we've got a big weekend coming up in the United States for the Labor Day weekend. The opening of Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, the first theatrically exclusive Marvel title to open during the pandemic. We've got 45 days exclusive to theaters. This is a new superhero. We haven't seen this hero before, but our chief analyst, Sean Robbins, is expecting a range between 35 to $55 million for the film's opening weekend. To narrow it down, we're looking at anywhere between the mid to high 40s here. And you can read all of Sean's uh, detailed analysis on our website, boxofficepro.com, later today heading into the weekend. Rebecca, I think this title is going to be important as we see the future of how Disney 
makes decisions regarding theatrical exclusivity, at least for the coming months. Absolutely, Daniel. And and the kind of shifting landscape of, um, of theatrical exhibition right now, a major topic at CinemaCon. Another one is just catching up with the innovations that have taken place over the last year. Independent cinemas in particular have been incredibly innovative since the March 2020 shutdown. So for this week's feature episode, we wanted to, to bring our listeners what we think is a very interesting story from the Peterborough Community Theater in Peterborough, New Hampshire, a town of around uh, 6,700, according to the 2020 census. Um, now, we have seen proof of vaccination requirements hit cinemas in France, in Italy, major cities like New York City. Um, however, the Peterborough was one of the first cinemas in the United States to voluntarily institute a proof of vaccination requirement at its cinema for certain days, certain screenings. It was really interesting uh, to speak to Vanessa Amsbury Benia about this because we learned that it was because her patrons wanted it. it, it she she reached out to, to her patrons and, and tried to figure out what she could do, what the Peterborough could do to make her community more safe. And that's also something that Mookie Greidinger, the CEO of Cineworld, the corporate parent of Regal here in the United States and the second largest cinema circuit in the world, spoke about uh, during CinemaCon, during one of the sessions that we were able to actually record and bring you in last week's podcast series, the role that these proof of vaccination requirements are going to have for the recovery. I think a lot of folks, including uh, Mookie, are cognizant that they might bring lower ticket sales at first as consumers get used to this. It's probably going to be something difficult to communicate from place to place. But ultimately, this sort of push can help the industry recover quicker. So it's a bit of a dip right at first, but essentially and eventually it might lead to a quicker recovery down the road. And we have a clip here from Cineworld CEO Muki Greidinger talking about the impact of proof of vaccination requirements for the cinema recovery effort from a CinemaCon 2021 panel. Altogether, things are now relaxing. I think that there are almost no restrictions. There will be coming now a wave that we will need to show a proof of vaccination probably in many of the countries, which at the beginning will create some chaos. I'm saying this from the experience we have already in Israel. But at the end of the day, it's not a bad thing. And uh, it will create some stability to the situation. And that was Muki Greidinger, the CEO of Cineworld, speaking briefly about the impact of these proof of vaccination requirements to the box office, how he's really expecting from personal experience seeing the impact of these policies in Israel to hurt earnings at first, but eventually play a role for the cinema recovery effort. Of course, every audience in every community is different. Rebecca, that's what I love about this story. In being one of the first cinemas in the United States to look at their audience, look at their demographics, and decide to make a policy that made sense for them and made sense for their business. And it's something that we've seen pick up more in the intervening weeks. We recorded this interview in the beginning of August, right as we were preparing to head out to CinemaCon. Now that we're airing it at the end of the month, I've seen a lot more independent cinemas 
come out with their own uh, proof of vaccination requirements and days and policies. It's something I, as I have to mention. I'm planning a trip to see my in-laws in Philadelphia in the coming weeks. And I'm looking forward to visiting a, a cinema that's been in my bucket list for a while, the Bryn Mawr Film Center in the suburbs of Philly. I was pleasantly surprised to learn they have a very similar policy they will be instituting at their own theater. So I'll be curious to see that in action. But without any further ado, here is our interview with the Peterborough Community Theater and their decision to implement one of the first voluntary proof of vaccination requirements in the United States. Vanessa, thank you uh, so much for joining us. I, I know speaking for both Daniel and myself, we saw the news about what Petersburg is doing with its vaccine required screenings. And immediately we were like, we have to, to find out more about this because it's uh, it's definitely a, a, a hot subject right now. And, and, and we were interested to find out the way in which you approached it and, and really the way in which your community has received it. But to start off, could you give us a bit of background on the Peterborough Community Theater and your own role in it? I know it has a very long history uh, within your community. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate that. Um, we are re the most recent, as of three years ago, owners of the Peterborough Community Theater, which is actually New Hampshire's oldest movie theater. It opened in 1914. Um, we bought it three years ago. Right. and. Ooh, nice. um, yeah, so our relatively new owners, we've, you know, have had to manage the pandemic for one and a half of those years, so half of the time. Um, oh, my goodness. And uh, <laughs> it's, it has been a very positive experience. And we really, we use kind of a corny phrase, but we use the phrase um, that community is our middle name. Um, Peterborough Community Theater. We are all about the community. Oh, literally and, and figuratively. Yeah. <laughs> literally and figuratively, exactly. Um, it's so important to us that this little gem of a theater, which, by the way, when it first opened in 1914, it was called The Gem. So we lovingly refer to it as our little gem. Um, but going back to my previous point, we love the fact that our theater is part of our community and that we are there to serve the needs of our people. Because if it wasn't for our community and the people who come to it, what's the point, right? We exist for them. So that's why it was so important to us as owners to make sure that we are meeting the needs of the people in our town. And particularly since the demographic of our town tends to be an older population. These are people that generally are 50, ages 55 and up, a lot of retired folk. And these are people who don't stream. They just don't do it. For them to see a movie, you go to the movie theater. There is no other option. Some of them may buy a DVD or something along the way. But but you're not wrangling with the virtual cinema. Of, you can buy it on a virtual <laughs> cinema app and stream it to your Roku. That's not going to cut it. <laughs> that is not, that's not our demographic. That's Those aren't the people that are coming in through our doors. They want the big screen. This is their default. So it was really important for us to make sure that we're meeting the needs of our primary demographic because they're the ones that are paying those senior tickets and that, you know, that's our revenue right there. You know, you talk about community and you talk about that connection with your customers and, and getting to know them and that being a central part of your mission. As we know, when March 2020 hit, cinemas were among the first businesses to, as a group, 
voluntarily suspend operations. As a group, I think the industry made a concerted effort and decision in saying, we need to know more about this before we continue operations. And then we, we had that break over the summer where the National Association of Theater Owners worked with many cinemas to institute Cinema Safe. And I think that helped inform the reopening. Now, this pandemic is something that seems to be going on in phases, right? We have different phases, different parts of it. It, it seems like it's going on forever. But could you take us back, Vanessa, to that first reopening uh, from when you were allowed, your approach to that and how you began communicating with your audience on what they were comfortable with once you reopened those doors? Sure, yeah. So there was just sort of a feeling in my mind that it was time to reopen, just as I was looking at the numbers here in New Hampshire and uh, seeing that things were sort of getting sort of closer to a comfort level. The numbers were going down. Everything was looking like, hey, summer's coming and here we are. So I maintain a, a, a database, an email list uh, of about a thousand addresses. And that's how I announce, for the most part, which movie I'm getting for the next week. And, and I know that it's really helpful for my customers. Well, I use that email list to reach out to them when I was getting ready to open. And I asked them, will you fill out a little survey? I threw together a little Google Forms survey. And out of the thousand plus emails that got sent out, I ended up with 230 responses. Those 230 responses were really valuable to me because it gave me an idea of where people were at, which is what we needed. We needed to know, is this a good time to open or should we just keep doing the rentals as we've been doing for a year and a half, which is a viable business model, but it's a lot of work for a lot less money. Being that I was as tired as I was. <laughs> well, what did those responses tell you? The thing that was overwhelming in those responses was that the number one thing that people asked for was proof of vaccination only showings over and over wow. and over again. Yeah. That's what they so wanted. Even, even that early, so even when, when you were even first then, thinking, let's go back to general admission. It was June. In that mm -hmm. poll with your customers, that's the, and so that's June, 2021, when you're, you're getting this question out and this June, the beginning of the summer, your your customers are clearly saying this is a priority for us. That's very interesting. So how did you begin to approach that concept? Because I know a lot of exhibitors around the country, right now this is a question that they're asking themselves. A, does my audience want this? And B, if they do, what's the next step after I learned that? <laughs> well, the next step for me after I got all of those responses and was able to see what people wanted was, well, can I do this? Is it legal? Mm. Are there going to be problems with this? You know what? A quick Google search gave me all the answers that I needed. I found out instantly via Google search that this is not in violation of any kind of HIPAA laws. I mean, I'm sure a lot of other businesses in a lot of other fields are, are asking this exact same question. So it's exactly. not like it. Would... I wanted to make sure I didn't I didn't want to go ahead and do something and then find out later that I was in violation of some kind of law. That's not OK. Mm. So once I had that answer, which was actually pretty easy to find, I just did it. <laughs> so when I announced to my people, 
that was it. When I so when I sent out my next email, I let them know we were reopening on July second. That I appreciated um, the responses that I got to, from my survey, and we would be setting aside one day a week. We called it Safer Sundays. It's kind mm. of a cute little like, name, right? Safer like Wednesdays <laughs> doesn't really have a ring to it. <laughs> it was a good day, I figured, because it wasn't like the most popular day of the week. It wasn't like Saturday mm-hmm. where somebody would be like, hey, what are you doing? Saturday's our day, right? And yet I offer a matinee and an evening show on a Sunday, and it was a good viable day to do it. Plus the name worked out. Um, <sighs> so I offered Safer Sundays as an experiment, and I let people know that it was an experiment in my email correspondence and Facebook posts and all of that. Let's see how this works. Let's see what happens, right? And what I discovered over the month of July was that 75% of my business was coming in on one single day. Wow. Wow. The Sunday, the Sunday brought in, in your community, three quarters of ticket buyers. I think that's a great reflection of, you know, being in, in contact and knowing, meeting your customers where they're at. Are you, were you open all seven days? We're open five days a week. We're okay, just close on Mondays and Tuesdays. I get two nights at home. <laughs> Watch movies. <laughs> <laughs> the rest of the nights I'm here. So you're yeah. you're reopened now from from Wednesday to Sunday. What would a usual Sunday in business bring in for you before the pandemic, Vanessa? Obviously not seventy five percent, but what's the not comparison point here? No, no, this isn't this isn't normal. The numbers that I'm getting right now are not normal. Um, normally, a Sunday would be kind of equal to a, a Wednesday. Um, as opposed to being my, my number one day where all of my business is coming in. We have had Friday and Saturday nights since we reopened July 2nd, where not a single person walked in the door. Zero oh, attendance no. for a Saturday night, for a Friday night. Mm-hmm. I just shut off the projector and I go home. Look, I've got a night off. But that made it so that I was questioning the validity of those days. Like, how do I justify being open then on a Friday or a Saturday or on a Wednesday or a Thursday even when most of my business is coming in on that one Sunday? Clearly, I am meeting a demand that exists. It's a supply and demand issue. This has nothing to do with politics. It has nothing to do with ideology, which is what people are trying to do with this mm-hmm. decision. Turning it into a political They're issue. Turning it into it's a purely a business decision. decision. I mean, uh, on this, well, obviously there's the obvious health health decision, which is a factor we can't ignore. But beyond that health decision, from your perspective as a business owner, 75% of business is coming on one day because of one policy. Right. I mean, the, the obvious thing is how do you expand it? So after having those results on the Sunday how did that influence you to adopt more days? Or where are you now with uh, with expanding this policy? Thank you. So I just made that decision after kind of throwing a little Facebook post out there and asking a few people, what would you guys think if I had another day? Well, the majority of our customers and our client base was really happy about that. Big thumbs up from most everyone. Um, the only time that I got some backlash was from the Peterborough page where our local newspaper posted this information. And I, I got a little bit of backlash from that very small but very vocal community who, you know, 
threw some insults our way because of it and told us that basically we were being discriminatory and taking away their freedoms and their rights. I, I wonder how often they went to your cinema before it, <laughs> if they were actually your customers well, or just... That's just it too. So when I see the people that are making those comments, I can recognize that they're not our customer base. It's not actually the our usual, regular customers that come in. Um, these are people that are just making their voices known. Their <laughs> We've been hearing a lot of, what about people with medical conditions? What about children uh, who are too young to get vaccinated? Have, have you run into any of those issues? Either customers yes. asking you like actual customers or people on your Facebook page? Yeah, people on the Facebook page. And I've replied to each and every one of them. For anyone who has a medical concern, who can't get vaccinated for whatever reason, and there were people there, I completely understand their frustration and where they're at. And the thing is, we're still open to include them too. So keeping in mind that even though we've added one more safer day, which is now Thursday, they can come to the movies on Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, what we've done, in essence, is just allowed more choices for mm -hmm. everyone, right? We've not discriminated against anyone. They can still come to the movies. They can come on those other days. And there's room for them as well. It's a way of being able to include everyone. Yeah, it is, it is inclusive rather than discriminatory. I love that exactly. distinction. Yeah, I, I really love that approach of this being consumer-driven, right? This is a, a business-driven a decision that you're making, as we're saying, to, to meet your customers where they're at, at their safety level, at their comfort level. Now, there are many things that consumers, if we poll them, will tell us that they would like to see, but that doesn't always equate to sales. I think the best example I can say is healthy concessions. Every time I speak to an exhibitor and they put out a poll, everybody says, we would love to have more healthy options at the concession stand, but that never ever, ever translates to they don't sales. Ever, they don't ever buy them. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. We've had the same, same problem, too. Yeah. They just sit there. You know what happens? How much of a concern was that? Yeah. I eat them. <laughs> yeah. If I go to the movie theater, I'm not eating health food. I am eat I'm eating the, the most calorie-laden popcorn I, I can get. for lunch. But that may, be, that may be a drawback, right, in getting in touch with your audience and, and putting a poll, right, and saying, hey, if we institute a policy like this, would you feel comfortable? There may be a situation where a poll like this might have people responding saying, yes, in theory, I like it, but I might not go to the movies that often. How concerned were you when you saw these responses, when you saw a clear direction on which policies to institute? that they would actually translate into ticket sales, which I think ultimately is, is an important factor in these policies. I felt pretty confident, actually. I have a really good rapport with my community and the people that come in. This is one of the joys of being a small business owner and being such a small theater. We've got one screen. We've got 95 seats. It's a tiny little intimate space. I know so many of my customers on a personal level because they come in every week. I know them by, by first name. I know how they like their popcorn. I know what drink they're going to get. I greet them as soon as they walk in the door. So... I felt like the result, the responses that I was getting from them were viable. You knew that they actually cared about 
the theater. They actually do. And they love this theater just as much as we do. They recognize that this is an important part of Peterborough history, New Hampshire history. And those same people were the ones who have gotten us through these pandemic times. When we needed help, they stepped up. We had a GoFundMe at the beginning of this pandemic. Those people, particularly older generation, who definitely need this theater as a place of community, they are the ones who stepped up and helped us get through it. They're my friends. They're my community. And I completely believe that they gave, were giving me the answers that were truthful and honest and would meet their needs. I mean, I read on the website that even back in the, the teens, uh, 20 teens, I mean, when, when the Peterborough was able to convert to digital, that was also from donations mm-hmm. from the consumers. Like that's a, that's a longstanding Great. thing. And it's, it's a, there's a real loyalty yeah. that's been built up over the, I guess at this point, century plus. Absolutely. Yes. So it's a, it's a beloved institution in our little town. So uh, the decision to expand, it was based on customer demand, a supply and demand thing. Knock on wood, when we see the Delta variant subside, when we see the numbers go down, hopefully soon, what will be that process of um, going back to a, to a status quo, to a normal way of doing things? Will you also at that point be in touch with your customers? Are you continually kind of checking up on their comfort level so that you know when to dial this back? Absolutely. And I think the numbers, I think it's going to be one of those things where it's really numbers driven, data driven. When I start to see that Wednesdays and Fridays and Saturdays, those numbers are going to be about the same as Thursdays and Sundays. When that starts to level out, that's going to tell me that people are at a point where they're comfortable enough, wherever we're at in the pandemic, that they're not going to need that extra level of protection that's going to make them feel safer to come into the theater. I really think it's going to have a lot to do with just just the numbers and the data. I mean, I'll definitely reach out to my customer base as well and get an idea of where they're at. But at this point, the numbers will, will speak. And obviously with, with some of those uh, loyalty programs, when we talk about larger circuits with multiple locations that may not have the advantage of a, a smaller uh, cinema of having that personal connection with audiences, if you've got a loyalty program, you know how many times that respondent to that poll has come to the movies. You know when they come to the movies. You know uh, at which point, which play week they come to the movies. So a lot of these decisions, I think, are going to be very interesting to track in the coming weeks as we see exhibition make further modifications to their operations in meeting their audiences where they're at at different points of the pandemic. I don't think any of us expected to be in this situation this late into the summer. We are. And as long as studios keep releasing films, as long as cinemas are able to continue their operations, I think it's great to see initiatives like yours, Sonessa, where you can directly communicate with consumers and make sure you can offer them the movie-going experience that they want. Because otherwise, I mean, do you think you'd be open at this point? No. At this point, no. I've seen the numbers just turn. So when we first started this in July, numbers were strong. We had plenty of people walking in the door and we thought, this is great. Here we are. We're back. I mean, it wasn't 100%, but I'd say maybe 70 right? Like, this is it. We did, we did it. We got through it. We're over. Yeah, it's done. we did it. We got through it. Yeah. And then the end of July came and all of a sudden, Everything just crashed. Mm-hmm. And all the, as soon as they started talking about the Delta variant, of course, 
our demographic in particular, these are the most vulnerable folk, they're going to be on top of that. It's going to make them feel worried. And one of the first things they're going to like leave out of their lifestyle is going to be going to the movies. They're, you know, they're, they're probably like, well, you know, we've done it for a year and a half. Let's just keep going. Vanessa, thank you so much. It's been great to talk with you and, and hear about not only what the Peterborough is doing now, but the history of the theater. And it just personally, it's been really inspiring just to hear the way in which you're doing what your customers want and not turning it into some kind of political issue. Like there's been so much of that and it's really just a, a, yeah. a little, it's a palate cleanser. I'll say that it's a palate yeah. cleanser. Absolutely. Awesome. Thanks. Thank you so much yeah, for joining it. us. This has been the Box Office Podcast. Thanks so much to Vanessa Emsbury Benia, co-owner of the Petersburg Community Theater, to co-host Daniel Luria, and to all of you, our listeners. The Box Office Podcast is co-produced by the Box Office Company in collaboration with Record Edit Podcast. We look forward to you tuning in again next week. Thank you so much and have a good one. <laughs>